early March 2019. Elliot Hudson is being picked up by his father to be driven home. Yeah, dad, dad came um, to pick me up uh, from, from Brockville. Um, you know, almost, almost right away, it, it, it's a very strange experience because you spend so many hours fantasizing about what it's going to be like down to every every detail um you know what what's my dad going to be wearing um you know what's his car going to smell like um that that almost right away this this kind of this this fantasy movie that i'd created in my mind didn't match up to what was happening in real life and it started to create some anxiety um pretty much off the hop Elliot had spent months planning his first meal after being picked up by his father. A diner breakfast of eggs and sausages. It was a departure from the airline-style meals he'd become used to. But the restaurant was closed and the backup meal was only so-so. He was excited to sleep in a real bed, but he couldn't sleep when he got home. Every time he dozed off, he'd wake up confused, not sure of where he was. Um, I, I kind of got out thinking like, oh, this is, you know, this is no big deal. This will be easy. Uh, it turns out it was very, very difficult. I'm Adam Toy. And I'm Dave McIver. And this is why. Hey, Dave, have you ever heard the serenity prayer? Sure. Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. They use that in AA, right? What does that have to do with Elliot Hudson? You know, uh, let's bring in someone who has gotten to know Elliot a little bit better. Jane Gerster is a national features reporter for Global News. Welcome, Jane. Hi, thanks for having me. Jane, you've been following Elliot Hudson for the past year and a half? Yeah, exactly. 18 months this month. So tell us about Elliot. I guess if I was going to do like the quick resume version, um, Elliot is a 37-year-old man living in Ottawa who struggles with substance use disorder. So he is addicted to alcohol and uh, drugs. And he is, you know, someone who has... You know, he's a. I guess I was really thinking about this this morning, actually. Um, Elliot is a thinker. He's this, like, really contemplative guy who, you know, wants to learn everything he can about his addiction. He wants to understand, you know, what's going on in his brain, why willpower isn't enough. And so that makes him this really fascinating person to follow because he comes to this realization that he can't outthink his disorder. So, you know, he is, he's just a a regular person struggling and trying to figure out how to make himself sober and happier in his life. Elliot worked in audio engineering in his 20s, an environment where booze and drugs are normalized and no one was really concerned if he was drunk or high or both. Elliot felt functional in this environment, but there was some point where he realized he couldn't stop drinking after having that first drink. He missed his best friend's wedding, and he realized it was time to sober up. His view of the world opened up when he wasn't viewing it through beer goggles. He wanted to help other people with finding a clear view, too. He got a diploma in addiction counseling and spent a few years as a peer support worker. In 2015, he entered Carleton University's social work program. His thesis was supposed to be about the criminalization of addiction, a result of the so-called war on drugs. The war on drugs started in the early 70s. America's public enemy number one in the United States is drug abuse. In order to fight and defeat this enemy, it is necessary to wage 
a new all-out offensive. It's cost the U.S. government over a trillion dollars in 40 years. In 2008, the Washington Post reported 1.5 million Americans were arrested each year for drug offenses, and half a million would be incarcerated. They also reported one in five black Americans would spend time behind bars due to drug laws. In Canada, drug arrests have been dropping from more than 100,000 in 2012 to 90,000 in 2017, with cannabis-related arrests accounting for more than half of the 2017 arrests. For decades after President Richard Nixon declared drugs were a public enemy number one, the Global Commission on Drug Policy said the war has, quote, failed with devastating consequences and societies around the world. They also said, quote, fundamental reforms in national and global drug control policies are urgently needed. The topic for Elliott's thesis is a big one, and his thesis advisor suggested he adjust the scope of his research. Elliott was going to look at addiction treatment in Ontario, but the smaller focus didn't take away any of the stress of writing that thesis. Elliott finished his first year at Carleton in the spring of 2016. He relapsed in the fall and took a mental health leave. That October, Elliot was facing charges for assaulting his parents while drunk. He was released on conditions to not drink or do drugs, but was arrested six months later for damaging two windows at an ex-girlfriend's home while drunk. Elliot tried to return to school, but he was drinking and using. He was bouncing between shelters, and all his money went to alcohol and drugs. He even started shoplifting from the liquor store when cash was short. The following fall, Elliot dropped out of school. On October 10th, 2017, Elliot robbed a store. Four days later, he robbed a gas station. Elliot turned himself in after Ottawa police spread his image far and wide from the gas station robbery. During Elliot's sentencing in February of 2018, Justice Dorval said, quote, Obviously, alcohol has led you down this path at this point, and it's time to deal with it. Jane, when you finally met Elliot face-to-face near the end of 2018, were you surprised with who you saw in front of you? No, I wouldn't say that I was shocked. I think I was just more fascinated by, you know, how he thinks about addiction. It's, it's unusual to me, you know, from my experience on reporting on these things, to meet someone who both has that lived experience and is actively struggling and who also, um, you know, is thinking about the ways in which society is making it harder for him to be rehabilitated and making it harder for the people he meets in prisons. So having some kind of incentive for people to, um, to stay clean and sober, to work on recovery, I think is really important. And, and the last thing is um, we need something for, for guys to be doing. We can't have people... Uh, sitting on a housing unit pacing uh, all day. It's just, it's just, it leads to violence, it leads to drug use, uh, it leads to despondency and despair and suicide and all kinds of mental health problems. Um, so we need to, we, if we're going to lock people up, we need to give them something to do. Um, just putting them in a room um, and, and saying, you know, good luck, see you in six months is not an option. I think if there was any sort of surprise, um, on my part, it was just, you know, how even even at his lowest lows, you know, Elliot was really thinking about, like, how do we how do we fix this problem where everyone is struggling and not just, you know, how do I get out of jail? How do I stay sober? It was very much kind of, you know, because, I mean, addiction is, is, addiction is selfish. And he 
you know, he didn't want to be in jail and he really wanted to get sober. What surprised you about Elliot's realizations about addictions and how it works in the human body? I think the biggest thing was really about around relapse. So um, we talk a lot about willpower, you know, like I really want to have, you know, a piece of cake tonight. You know, I really shouldn't, you know, okay, do you have enough willpower to avoid that? At the beginning, Elliot was like, yeah, no, I have to have willpower and I have to stay focused and I can do this. And he realizes over the course of, you know, getting parole, having parole revoked, you know, going back to, you know, a regular Ontario jail and then being transferred back to a specialty jail for people who have addictions and mental health issues, you know, and then getting out of that jail and still struggling with relapse, you know. Hmm. I think it's this realization that that willpower is not enough, that, uh, you know, an addiction is not the same thing as, you know, a craving for sugar or a craving for, you know, mac and cheese or, or, you know, it's not it's not the same thing, even though we sort of talk about it using the same words. And so I think he he approached it a little bit like it was the same thing, at least in our conversation. You know, like he framed it as like, I just need to have this willpower. And, and at the end, you really, you sort of see him even now realizing it's not enough. Like I have to just embrace the fact that, you know, many studies have shown that the likelihood of relapse persists indefinitely. So, Elliot Hudson is a guy in his mid-30s who, looking at a picture of him, you wouldn't know that he's got a drug problem. Right, but his addiction to drugs and alcohol and his relapses and his behavior while under the influence has got him in trouble with the law. What's the difference between an addiction to drugs or alcohol and really wanting to eat a donut or barbecue? So experts, including the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, use four C's to determine an addiction. They are craving, loss of control of amount or frequency, compulsion to use, and using despite the consequences. But the effects for the users are interesting. Gabor Mate, an addiction expert who's done research in Vancouver's downtown east side, shared this at a TEDx talk in Rio de Janeiro. When you don't have love and connection in your life, Uh, when you're very, very young, then those important brain circuits just don't develop properly. And under conditions of abuse, things just don't develop properly, and their brains then are, are susceptible when they do the drugs. Now they feel normal, now they feel pain relief, now they feel love. And as one patient said to me that when I first did heroin, she said, it felt like a warm, soft hug just like a mother hugging a baby. On the other hand, you know, addiction is a medical disease that needs to be treated as such, um, but we're treating it as a behavior problem. So which one is it? Elliot got parole the following spring in 2019. That's when his father drove him home from the Brockville prison. Elliot had gone from the regimented, controlled atmosphere in prison to being able to choose what he did with his time as long as he stayed sober. Not an easy task with how often alcohol is seen in mainstream society, from, say, the beer store down the street to commercials on TV. Yeah, well, I mean, our, our society is, is very alcohol-focused, and that's something that I think a lot of sober people, um, myself included, will tell you that they, you become like really hyper-aware of once you stop drinking. You're like, oh... Wow, it's everywhere. 
Jane, with 39 supervised consumption sites across Canada, was that a service Elliot used, or did he have some other form of harm reduction when dealing with his addiction? Harm reduction is something that Elliot is very, very passionate about. Um, and um, so one of the things that actually really helped him is when he got out of prison last October, you know, he was connected through the John Howard Society with his peer support worker, so someone who had also, you know, been through jail and struggled with addiction. And um, that person actually, you know, said, you know, hey, do you smoke? And Elliot was like, not anymore. And he was like, start smoking. Start smoking, start drinking a crap load of coffee, you know, because he was saying, you know, you have to have that kind of compassion for yourself. Like you have to, you know, it's a, it's a form of harm reduction, you know? Yeah, it's not great to have 16 cups of coffee in a day and smoking is not great for your lungs. But if, if those things that aren't great for you are enough to keep you from, from spiraling, from getting, you know, blackout drunk, from getting high on cocaine and, you know, robbing, you know, robbing a store to get money to buy drugs, you know, better. And so I think that that's, that's what a lot of the programs Elliot's have done, Elliot's done, have tried to instill in him is like, you know, you don't have to be, this isn't about being perfect. Jane, how did fear play into Elliot's addictions? I think it's a huge part of it because fear is really wrapped up in shame. And there's just so much shame around addiction. So for him, you know, when he's waking up in that morning fearful, it's not just, you know, fear of one thing. It's, it's you know, fear of, you know, if I, if I give in to this anxiety and this craving today, will it be one drink? Will it be two? Will it be 10? Will it be cocaine? You know, will I have to then have another conversation with my father about how I've relapsed or he doesn't quite understand why I'm relapsing and I can't make him understand, you know, and then I'll just be ashamed of failing. Mm. So it's a huge part. It comes up over and over and over again. It comes up in every, you know, every time I've been there when he's relapsed, every time I've been there, you know, when, when I've spoken to him, you know, the morning after a relapse, it's just, it's just there. So let's start with that morning. Do you remember what yeah. time you woke up? Uh, probably about, uh, probably about t- uh, 10, 9.30 or 10. Um, I woke up feeling uh, fearful, um, just uh, anxious, lonely. Um, what were you fearful? Uh, it was just sort of a generalized uh, kind of dread. Um, I, I, I can't really describe it except to say that it's it's like the fear of the unknown. Um, it's it's just um, you know anyone who's experienced anxiety knows that it's like you can't even really point your finger on what exactly it is because there's not really there's not really an organic cause. I can't say you know it's that it's that thing over there that's making me afraid. It's just a general. It's it's almost like your body is in like fight or flight mode and your your senses are attuned but but there's no threat um, if, if that makes any sense um, so it was just like a sense of like something bad is going to happen I don't know what it is but I just have this feeling that something bad's going to happen Jane what's Elliot's relationship like with his family so his mother um, actually died uh, when he was a month in jail mm. uh, in the fall of 2017 um, and she had struggled with addiction as well 
So, you know, Elliot is really, really no stranger to addiction, nor is his father. Um, you know, I, I alluded to it a little bit earlier, but one of the struggles that has constantly come up when I've spoken with Elliot is navigating that relationship with, with his family. Mm-hmm. You know, he said after he had parole revoked in March 2019 that, you know, like his dad said to him, I don't understand, like, what could I have done better to support you? Elliot had to say, nothing. You were amazing. You gave me a safe place to come home. Like, you were supportive. You were warm. You cared that I was sober. But, you know, walking by an LCBO can trigger a craving. Watching a beer commercial can trigger a craving. Seeing someone he used to use with can trigger a craving. It's so, you know, it's it's, it's really complex. And so it's it's... His relationship with his dad is is a work is a work in progress. Um, better now that they're not living together. Um, but yeah, so it's a uh, you know they're I think they're very supportive, but they also struggle like a lot of Canadians with really understanding you know, understanding addiction. We think you know we think like I said earlier, we think willpower is enough, but the reality is that you know addiction damages your brain so you can't you know we're saying to someone can you now you know treat yourself by relying on the brain that your addiction has damaged so i think having those conversations is something that's been really challenging for elliot with his father but he continues to persist in them because it matters um and in terms of extended family you know that really only came up once and that was in december because Elliot's cousin overdosed and died. Hmm. And so, you know, we actually talked that morning after his dad had flown out to see his family. And Elliot was just really struggling with, um, with whether, like, how to call his aunt. If he wanted to, but he also was just scared. Because, you know, end game of addiction sometimes feels like like an overdose it feels like death and mom died and cousin died and you know he's sort of sitting there really struggling to stay sober so jane how has elliot been doing in the last few months in the middle of december uh he moved in with a longtime friend um and her children and her dog and a new puppy hmm. and so when I saw him in the middle of January, he had been one month sober, one month living with her, and he was doing really well. And a huge part of that he attributed to the routine, um, you know, getting up in the morning, then getting the kids up in the morning, helping them get their breakfast, helping them get ready for school, picking them up after, walking the dog, you know, having that routine was really beneficial for him. So that felt like a really good living situation for him. That being said, you know, he's still waiting you know, waiting for his own subsidized housing. Um, and, yeah, so it's kind of, um, I, it, it was going pretty well. Mm-hmm. But I think one of the things that I've come to realize about Elliot is that, you know, he does, he does viral. Um, he does, you know, like, one disagreement can, you know, can sometimes set him off. Um, and so I think that while it's been diluted a bit 
while living with his friends and kind of having that routine, it, it also, you know, doesn't preclude him from having bad thoughts or disagreements or spiraling or being anxious. So those are still a struggle. And so I think, you know, right now he is doing, he'll do five weeks of inpatient where he lives Monday to Friday at the hospital and then he spends weekends at home because a big part is like trying to figure out that reintegration. Mm -hmm. That reintegration is proving, you know, I mean, it's February or four, four months, three months out from when he got out of jail and, you know, reintegration is, is still an ongoing challenge. Mm-hmm. Jane, thanks for your time and for telling us about Elliot. Yeah, no, thank you. I, I really appreciate you guys being interested. I think it's, you know, I think it's, I think it's really important to kind of tell these stories in, you know, a million different versions. Cause like, I mean, like there's this Gabor Mate quote where he talks about how like, you have to treat addiction like a kaleidoscope and so like every time you like move the dial you get like a slightly new image a slightly new approach a slightly new you know piece of information if you haven't had a chance to check out jane gerster's full piece on elliot hudson you can find that on globalnews.ca this is why is produced by me dave mciver and adam toy it's a national radio show and a podcast you can reach us by email at this is why at globalnews.ca and on twitter at this is why if you like what you hear and you want to hear more, make sure you subscribe to This Is Why so you never miss an episode. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And if you like what you're hearing, tell a friend. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in a week.